And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to take your positions. On your behalf, I am very pleased to introduce today's guests. Football fever has certainly gripped our nation, and thanks to yesterday's terrific game, this city in particular. In preparation for the 100th Grey Cup game, Canadian Football League Commissioner Mark Cohan is here to kick things off, so to speak. Much like our club's rich history and tradition, the centennial edition of the Grey Cup Championship has a captivating story of its own. The first Grey Cup, I understand, was played in 1909 on the Rosedale Field here in Toronto. The trophy for that game was donated by the Governor General at the time, Earl Grey. That trophy later became the Grey Cup and is now the proud property of the Canadian Football League. As we've seen with the Olympics and those very periodic occasions where our Toronto sports teams win a prize, <laughs> there is nothing like a good sporting event to unite a country. And I'm sure you will all agree that the 100th Grey Cup certainly fits that bill. And in Mark Cohan, the CFL has not only a commissioner, but also a champion, an advocate, and an ambassador. Mr. Cohan became the league's 12th commissioner in 2007. His tenure has been highlighted by the league's strong relationship with TSN, its broadcast partner. Um, but perhaps just as, if not more importantly, it's been marked by a wonderful and strong and growing relationship to its fans. Under Mr. Cohan's leadership, the, the State of the League accountability session with fans is the very first of its kind of activity in any major sport. The CFL has become Canada's league. As Stephen Brunt writes in his wonderful book, it's our game, played under our rules on our field. A remarkable feat, and in a large North American sporting market, an outcome that was by no means a sure bet. The CFL commissioner is widely considered among the most influential people in Canadian sport. He brings to his job years in senior leadership in two other of the world's most popular sporting organizations, Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association. And off the figurative football field, he recently completed eight wonderful years of service on the Ontario Science Centre Board, including over seven as chair, and he is also on the board of the World Wildlife Fund of Canada. Today, Mr. Cohan is joined in conversation with Stephen Brunt, one of Canada's best sports journalists. Mr. Brunt is a columnist and a broadcaster at Rogers Sportsnet and the author of 100 Grey Cups, This Is Our Game. In addition to its wonderful pictures, this is an eloquently written tribute to what Brunt calls Canada's great autumn ritual. Now, before I invite them to the stage, I'm sure you're excited to keep hearing from me. <laughs> I would like to encourage all of you in the live audience to ask questions of the commissioner if you wish. You'll just need to write them down on these cards that you'll find on your tables and hold them up, and a Canadian Club volunteer will come and pick it up and bring it to the front for you. So now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mark and Stephen, the podium is yours. In the questions, don't ask who's going to win, because I don't have an answer for you. Um, is the mic on? Can you guys hear me? Hello, hello. Hello? Hello, me. Go. Can you hear me? Perfect. So I thought, you know, Steve and I, I'm not doing the interviewing, Stephen is, uh, but I like to talk. You get that with the title of the commission. Um, what I want to do, because a lot of this is about the 100th Grey Cup, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes in a short period of time to capture what it means for the country. Uh, and this year, to kick off the celebrations, what we did is we put together a video that really talks to what the 100th Grey Cup means to the country. Uh, we went out to uh, iconic Canadians, to the tragically hip 
and um, Kiefer Sutherland. We asked Kiefer to uh, voice it over, and it's a great video called It Reflects Us All. So why don't we show it first to get us in a mood? Celebrated by the common man and the uncommon man. It's been through wars, literally. It's been paraded, helicoptered, horseback, broken, held for rest, and recovered. It's reduced 300 pound men. It's seen the 13th man defeated, but more often, triumphant. It's lived in Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Regina, Hamilton, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and once visited Baltimore. It divides east and west and unites us at the same time. Look closely into its silver cladding. It reflects the values of a nation, diversity, compassion, humor, respect, courage, tradition, tolerance. It reflects Lancaster and Gabriel, Kroll and Kepley, Calvillo, Flutie, Moon, and Simon. But more than the few who have raised it, it reflects the millions of us who've embraced it.
good. It's not bad. Yeah, I've seen that a couple times. Now. Um, first of all, thank you for uh, allowing me, a non-TSN guy, to do this. I think that's uh, that was very. And I would just note, in the same uh, ecumenical spirit, uh, you'll notice I'm wearing blue today. Yeah. Uh, as a Hamilton Tiger Cat season's ticket holder, this, it's the most difficult wardrobe choice I've ever made in my life. <laughs> but I'm going to acknowledge the home team in the Grey Cup, uh, a, a, which works out okay for you guys, and right? You know, we are renegotiating our TV deal shortly. Is that so right? So uh, yeah, we can, we can talk about that later. <laughs> okay. What's the Mark? What's the first Grey Cup you remember watching? Uh, I think it was probably 1976, and it's the Tony Gabriel catch. Uh, against the Riders, and I made a big mistake, and I forgot about this. So Tony Gibral, and Tony's not here today, but some people from Hamilton are here, uh, was my idol growing up. You know, great receiver, tight end, huge hands, uh, and I went on to play high school football, and I always thought about Tony Gabriel. And I remember my first uh, interview as commissioner with a radio station, I think it was Rolco in, out in uh, Regina, and they said the same question, what was your first memory? And I said, that catch. And it took me about a year to win the fans over from Saskatchewan because, <laughs> you know, they remember that catch as, you know, the day the province died. You know, it was tough. Where did it, you know, I, I, I'm a Hamilton guy. I grew up with this game, you know, and, and I, for me, you know, and again, I'm, my age, football was the first game in my life. It was more important than hockey, certainly, where I came from. Uh, you know, hockey was secondary. Where did, where did football fit in for you? Um, for me, it was a, a game playing in the backyard with my dad, who's here today. You know, my dad from the south side of Chicago, played in high school uh, there. Uh, we any good? Okay. Yeah. So it was really on the football field. Uh, you know, I went and played in my high school, and I, I loved the game. I was recruited to play in university. I decided not to play. Uh, you know, nice, nice Jewish kid doesn't really make it in the CFL, you know, big kid. So I thought, you know, uh, uh, you know, my my career is more of a high school, and I just love playing the game. It, um, you know, one of the things that when I was working on the book, um, which was a was a blast for me as a as a lifelong fan, but it, you know, it occurred to me that we don't that that we've given kind of short shrift to the history and culture of this game in terms of Canadian culture. We we talk a lot about hockey. You know, hockey is us, hockey is our identity, a million cliches and a million books and uh, a lot of poetry written about frozen ponds. But right. this game, we haven't, I, I don't think we've, we've given it full value for you know, how, a, how originally Canadian it is and how rooted in our culture it is. Um, just talk I, I, a little bit about this, this I, game I, is culture. I can completely agree. So I, you know, the last time the Grey Cup here was in 2007. How many of you went to it? Put up your hand if you were at that Grey Cup. You know, it was a successful Grey Cup. People were questioning how well it would do. But I remember when I first became commissioner, uh, and this is when I played football also in, in high school, you know, the, the football was a different size football. It was a J5V. It was different than the football the NFL used. So the campaign for years and years that the CFL used was our balls are bigger. Uh, and... And, and I came my first day as commissioner, and this gets back to, I'll, I'll root this back in culture, okay? Uh, uh, my first day as commissioner, I saw it on our website and said, take it down. I said, that is not who we are. And we spent about six months uh, talking to our fans, talking to our owners, talking to players, talking to alumni. I think even talking to some of our officials who are here today. And I said, what does the league stand for? And that's when we really sat down and we said, we are authentically Canadian. Um, we are accessible, so our players are the type of guys that would be sitting next to you uh, in a restaurant. You know, in the off season, they're working for Sun Life. They're, uh, you know, real estate brokers. They're trying to go to law school, uh, and we're affordable. And so when we came out with the campaign, "This is our league," it was really an ode to saying 
as Canadians, we don't do a good enough job of celebrating our country. Let's start celebrating the league. And that's what we started to do. And that's where we started to see some of the successes. How do you, how do you shift the narrative around? Because that, the whole our, our balls are bigger thing is kind of a defensive right. marketing campaign, right? right. That's yeah. what it was. Um, how do you shift the narrative uh, around the league from what it is uh, away from what it's not? Because there, during some dark years, it was all about what it's not. Right, exactly. And I think a lot of those, those conversations, if you remember also in 07, 08, uh, that's when the Bills initiative coming up here to play in Toronto. Everyone was afraid about what was happening. And we said, if we just focus on our league, we focus on growing our league and focus on the attributes that are true to who we are. If you read your book and you read, you know, over the decades, what does this league really stand for? You know, the players that have played this game, the role we play in the communities, the great stories when the nation stops and watches, uh, you know, that Sunday, the game and celebrates together. Let's celebrate that. We saw it in the Olympics uh, in the last, you know, several Olympics, and we clearly saw it in, in the Winter Olympics. But we said, if we do that, I think the narrative will change, and it did change, and we've changed it immensely this year, the year of the 100th Great Cup, and all the stuff that we've do, we've done. And I think that buildup to today uh, and to this week is what we're reaping the successes from. We'll talk a little bit about those, the uh, the decisions made around the 100th Great Cup. Uh, um, and it's not the 100th anniversary, even though it no. says that on the video. This is, uh, we're 103 years in the Grey Cup history. They skipped a couple in the First World War. Um, but there were decisions made about this game, where it was going to be and how you were going to approach it. Uh, it's an opportunity for you, obviously. Absolutely. So, you know, as you heard, the first Grey Cup was here in 1909 at Rosedale Field. Most Grey Cups have been played at Varsity Stadium. They didn't play a few Grey Cups during uh, World War One, And then they played in World War II. Um, and we said... We need to bring it back to the nation, you know, to uh, to the, really the birth of where uh, football began, uh, and that's in, in Toronto. The opportunity for us um, is greatest here in Toronto as well to grow uh, the game, to grow the brand. I think here in Southern Ontario, so we want to bring it back here. And then about two years ago, we sat down and we said, how do we? commemorate, how do we celebrate our history at the same time look forward to our future? So that's when we started to think about things like the Grey Cup train. Um, and that was an idea where thousands and thousands of people every year make that pilgrimage to the host Grey Cup city. Um, what unites East and West? You heard that, the Grey Cup does that every year. Actually, the Dominion Institute did a survey uh, about three years ago and they asked Canadians, since the birth of our nation, what are defining events? And Canadians said Confederation, World War One, World War Two the Battle of Vimy Ridge and Grey Cup and number seven. Um, you know, that's a pretty powerful testament to what Canadians across this country feel about the Grey Cup. So we want to capture that. So we married that with the train, this iconic symbol of what built this country, uh, the train. And that train has been going across Canada, just arrived in Toronto a few days ago on Friday, went to 4,100 kilometers across this country. The cup actually traveled 8,000 kilometers up to Iqaluit uh, and to St. John's and went to over 100 communities. And the people that came out to tell their stories have been phenomenal. Uh, from a man in Sarnia whose dad was uh, won the Grey Cup uh, on the Sarnia Imperials, went on the train, found an image of his dad he'd never seen, and started to break down crying. To the kids in Windsor who wrote a, 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 um, a song called This Train. Uh, to the former player's family in Okotos. Okotos is a small little town out west. 3,000 people uh, live in that town. 2,000 showed up. Uh, this, this lady showed up with her young son, seven years old. Uh, her husband had just died of cancer. Uh, a former bomber player 
the young boy uh, had his father's ring on his necklace, had never seen the Grey Cup, came out, touched the Grey Cup, and those are the type of stories that have touched us. So it really has been a remarkable build-up to this week here in Toronto. Now, and Toronto is a significant part of this, and not just historically, but practically and in terms of the business. Um, you said that the opportunity is the greatest for the league here. Obviously, the challenge is the greatest for the league in Southern Ontario as well. It's been a, it has been a tough nut to crack for a, for a while. Um, it, Talk a little bit about the challenges of this marketplace in particular and what you, you're trying to achieve with this particular Grey Cup. So, you know, when I think as a kid, I, you know, we moved here in 1968 uh, from Chicago. And, you know, that was the, the height of the Argos and the strength of the Argos, that 1971 Argos, which you will see a documentary on Tuesday night, tomorrow night, uh, which really talks about that 71 Argos. They were the hit of the town. Yep. They were wild characters. It was, the, it was the time of Yorkville, long hair and fry boots. Uh, I think I still have the fry boots. Uh, definitely not the long hair. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, uh, essentially, if you look at the 60s and 70s, the Argos were the, were the game in town, them and the Leafs. I think when the Jays started to get stronger, the more of the interest in the NFL, uh, a lot of turnover and ownership, we sort of lost our way. Blackouts, there were many blackouts. You know, as a kid, I couldn't see CFL games because they were blacked out in this market. So we really had to get a generation back that we've lost. And I think one of the reasons why we put the 100th Grey Cup here is to get that generation back. We've seen double-digit increases this year in ticket revenue and uh, uh, attendance at Argos games. The Argos actually ratings are up 22% here in Toronto, which is pretty amazing this year. Uh, people don't realize this. Um, a Raptors game might get 180,000 people watching it. Uh, a Toronto uh, Argos game against the Tiger Cats will get three quarters of a million people watching it. So we have a great television property. We're only second to the NHL in this country. Now it's converting those people into the stadium. And I think since that wind uh, last night, you're starting to see that happening. I know that I know my phone's going off the hook. Yeah, no, it's, it was, you know, it's going it's to be great. It's going to help you this week. It is it is a tricky business though, going from that to kind of turning it into a conversation here. Right. Right. And that's what we've done research, you know, that water cool conversation where you might be talking about the Leafs or you might be talking about the Jays trade. You know, there wasn't a lot of that conversation around the Argos. And uh, it really is about taking the excitement about this 100th Grey Cup now that the Argos are in it and translating that into relevancy uh, and a water cool conversation on an ongoing basis. And that's the opportunity the Argos have for them now. Now, one of the things you're doing here this year that's interesting with the Grey Cup Festival is that you know, the Grey Cup is a, the, the movable feast. You can, if you plunk the Grey Cup down anywhere, you'll get the, the hardcore of the Grey Cup fan base and they'll have a party. If it's in Saskatchewan or Winnipeg or Calgary, it'll spread out throughout the entire city. You know, here, the last time around, it was very successful, as you said, but it was really limited to that area around the stadium and the convention center. You've made a real effort to reach out into the city so that people aren't going to be able, people yeah. are going to know this is going on. Right. Uh, it's a gamble, though, yeah. isn't it, as uh, well? Uh, you know, in some ways, it's a gamble, but, you know, you don't have rewards without taking risks. And I think one of the things that the festival committee has done is really reached out. So there's all the traditional things down at the Metro Toronto Convention Center, uh, you know, Tiger Town, uh, the Lions Den, Ryderville, uh, Bremner Street. I'm sorry, Front Street will be closed. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest barbecue rib fests uh, happening down here. But some great things. The Adrenaline Zone up in Nathan Phillips Square is open now. Uh, you can go down the zip line, uh, which is great fun. 
there's a weight limit on it, 260 pounds, so there's a few politicians that can't make it. Uh, uh, but we're working on them. We're working on them. They even admit it they can't do it. Uh, yeah, Dundas Square this weekend was packed. It's a family zone uh, that is happening. We're doing a great thing with Sun Life this year, uh, which I'm really excited about, and all of you are invited. Um, just wear your gloves so you don't drop it. This year, uh, we had an idea. Because we saw what this Grey Cup means to the country, um, Varsity Stadium has been the site of, I think, over 30 Grey Cups. Right. Um, we are assembling fans, thousands of fans, at Varsity Stadium on Grey Cup Day, starting around 1 o'clock, and take a five-kilometer route through the city, and the fans get to carry the cup. Every 20 yards, you know, Stephen, you'll get it, and you'll pass it over to Betty from Saskatchewan and Wayne from St. John's, and you get to carry that cup down to the stadium to eventually turn it over to the Mounties as it walks its way in uh, to the stadium. And the response from fans has been amazing. It's our, it's, uh, it's really our ode to saying, you know, Canadians, this cup belongs to you. That's great. I like that. No, I like that idea a lot. Um, you know, talked about stadiums. One of the, you know, one of the really positive developments during your tenure is that we are on the verge of, you know, new stadium and one that's about to open in Winnipeg. There's one on the. Uh, that we, I hope it opens in Hamilton in 2015 on time. Um, I'm not 14. Sure, 14, yes. I'm not sure where they're going to be in 2013, but I'm sure that'll get sorted out. Um, uh, you have uh, Ottawa coming. The Ottawa Stadium deal is now through done. all hurdles, correct? Yep. So yep. we're uh, back in Ottawa for 2014. Yep, and in Saskatchewan, they're going to build a billion-dollar dome or something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, no, really, they're going to build something magnificent. they got a lot of money in Saskatchewan right now, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they love football more than anybody. Um, just talk about that that uh, transition, those new stadiums coming online. I remember my, I decided I wanted to do my first day of the league and it was the first 100 days. And I remember I did it at the Rogers Center. Um, and I, I reflected on my tour across the country when I became commissioner. I remember being at Canadian Stadium, uh, my first press conference with a you know, backdrop like this with Bombers logos behind it. And it was raining outside and it was raining in the press conference at the same time. So I'm like, stadiums, we need some, we have some issues with our stadiums. Uh, literally, we had failing infrastructure in our stadiums. From Hamilton, you know, stadium was built in the 19, I think 1930. Yeah. yeah somewhere around that time for the, uh, for the Empire Games, wasn't it? Um, uh, to Ottawa, which the South Stands were condemned and actually torn down. Uh, to the challenges across this country. So we sat down with our board of governors, and some of it had already started, and we said, we need to really invest into infrastructure for the future. And if you look across the country right now, there's well over a billion dollars. You know, it's probably a billion and a half dollars that have been invested in CFL stadiums across this country. From last year, the opening of BC Place, to $112 million in Edmonton and revitalize that, that facility with an unbelievable indoor facility for the team. Uh, to a small investment in Calgary, but the Flames now own the Calgary Stampeders, so they're looking at a potential new stadium or a new project as well. You talked about Saskatchewan. Winnipeg is opening a brand new stadium, 33,000 seats. It will probably be the nicest stadium in the country. It looks great. It looks amazing next year. Uh, Hamilton, literally December 1st, Old Ivor Wynn is getting torn down. They're cleaning it out right now. Uh, you can buy some seats if you want from that or some uh, old memorabilia from that. Um, and that will be resurrected with a brand new stadium for 2014 in Ottawa. Uh, basically, if you go to Ottawa now, uh, Lansdowne Park, it's a half a billion dollar project, 350,000 square feet of retail, office building, condos. 
but a brand new stadium as well. Essentially, essentially one side is brand new, they're re refixing the other side, but that project is underway and we'll get a, a team back in the nation's capital in 2014. Now, that's, let's talk a little bit about that because that's, you know, that team failed before. Um, that said, it, they were the most abused, abused fan group in all professional sports in North America. They had terrible teams. Uh, they, I don't think they had a winning team for 20 years before they went under. Um, and they had some god-awful ownership at the end as well. What's, what's going to change in Ottawa? You've got a different ownership group with Jeff Hunt, but uh, how's that going to, how's it going to work differently than it has other times? I think there's a, a couple of different things. And um, probably the first and most important thing after being in professional sports for 20 years is local ownership. I think you really need to have owners uh, who uh, believe in their community as much as they potentially believe in their football franchise. So with John Ruddy, uh, uh, Roger Greenberg, Bill Shankman, Jeff Hunt, these are individuals who um, have helped build and their families have helped build Ottawa. So if every hospital you go to, uh, you know, uh, facilities for young people who are on the streets. These are families that have given millions and millions of dollars. They wanted to do this project to help revitalize Ottawa in many ways. So we got the right ownership group. You have a, a facility that everyone is going to want to come to. If you look at the Staples Center in L.A., that rebuilt downtown L.A. Lansdowne Park will be a destination place uh, for people to go to. And I think that, that the, the nature of of uh, sport and being a social environment, I think that's going to be a great meeting place for people. And the third thing is our commitment, the league's commitment to creating a really strong franchise. So we've done an expansion draft um, that if you did it today, um, for example, uh, Kevin Glenn, who is a starting quarterback now for the Calgary Stampeders, in the expansion draft, uh, a team can only you know, protect one quarterback. So Calgary would have to decide, am I protecting Drew Tate, the future, or Kevin Glenn, who's got them to a Grey Cup? You know, so there will be very strong teams coming out of Ottawa, and I think those three combinations, plus maybe a fourth one too, the growth of football uh, in Quebec, yes. right across the river. So when Bob Wettenhall bought the team 16 years ago in Montreal, there were 3,000 people playing organized football. There's over 40,000 today. Uh, RDS does unbelievable numbers uh, of our games uh, on French television. So I think there's a great opportunity for them to take advantage of uh, people who live across the, the river. Now, before, I'll take some of these questions in a second, but just to follow up on the Ottawa thing, um, people are going to naturally ask, okay, so you're going to get back to nine, can you go to ten? Um, there, was, there has been interest in the Maritimes in Moncton and Halifax. Uh, Quebec City is a university hotbed. There have been talk about other places in Canada. Is that... You know, does the need does the league need that kind of idea of growth? Is it important, and do you think it's practical? I think smart growth is is important because um, you want to continue to be relevant across the country. So the minute we got back into Ottawa, uh, the attitude of the fans there and the excitement around it, and the attitude of Canadians in general, all of a sudden people were really excited again. But the first question I got asked at the press conference in Ottawa was, "When are you going to 10?" There's no rest uh, for the weary. Um, so basically. Um, I think there's a couple different options that we can look at. Uh, people always talk about Atlantic Canada. So we did regular season games in Atlantic Canada the last two years uh, in Moncton. Now, Moncton's an interesting place. Uh, Moncton has positioned itself as the entertainment capital of Atlantic Canada. The, the biggest concerts in North America, whether it's ACDC or Bruce Springsteen or the Rolling Stones, the biggest crowds are in Moncton. People go to Magnetic Hill, 70 to 80,000 people come out to those events, and they come from all over the region. So at our game we had there, 50% uh, of the people came from over 80 kilometers. So Moncton's interesting. Challenge with Moncton is you've got to invest about another $100 million in a new stadium. 
challenge in Halifax, which has better corporate support and a bigger population, is there's no stadium there. You'd probably have to spend $200 million on a new stadium. Quebec City is also an interesting one. The, the success of the Rouge et Or at Laval has been unbelievable. Um, so you'd have to build a new stadium there as well. So I think there is potential. There is a lot of uh, interest at our board table from our ownership group to look at a 10th team, but we got to do it smart and we got to do it with the right support because it's not just about expansion fee, it's about building infrastructure again. Is, is there anyone on a potential ownership level in those places that's knocking on your door? Uh, I would say no. I've spoken to a lot of people, but uh, no. I, interesting. I think in Atlantic Canada, I actually think the model that works the best for us um, is our community-owned model. So the most successful franchises we have uh, is Saskatchewan. Uh, Saskatchewan is a community-owned team where people can buy shares in the company. You come to an annual general meeting like this and you get grilled by the fan base. Um, and people invest in it because it's part of the community. I think if you did a community-owned team, that would be a very interesting model for Atlanta, Canada. Yeah, it would be. I'll take a couple of these here. Um, but, and, and maybe broaden this out into a larger discussion too. How can you ensure that more of our high school talent stay in Canada, in Canada playing talent, instead of going to the U.S.? What can the CFL implement to ensure these high school talents attend university in Canada rather than the U.S.? Now that's a little beyond yeah. your powers, but, yes. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about Canadian, the position. You know, you can address that if you'd like, but right. the, also the idea of Canadian playing talent in the league and maybe the, uh, the ever-popular question of Canadian quarterbacks sure. in the league. Sure, That is, I think, you know, I think that's a great question for the CIS and, uh, you know, how do you keep talent here? How do you uh, improve scholarships and allow uh, Canadians to grow here? Um, you know, for us, it's really about, uh, interesting, I went to a, a university in the States, I went to Northwestern University, a Big Ten school, and by the time uh, most of the athletes get into the NFL, you already know them because they're celebrities uh, in the NCAA system. One of the things we're starting to work with with CIS in the college system here is building the profile of those young athletes. So we have a scouting bureau that essentially, and you get this, you know, uh, I guess every month we send out who are the top 15 potential uh, guys will go in the top of our Canadian draft. There's a lot more pressure now on our general managers and our coaches in terms of picking Canadian talent. And we have some Canadian talent here from the Varsity Blues. Maybe one guy, one day I'll be naming one of you guys at the Canadian draft, calling your name. Just make, just two syllables is good. I'm not good with the long ones. <laughs> or phonetically all. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think that's really important uh, for us in terms of profiling the talent. Marrying the Vanier Cup and the Grey Cup. So this weekend, guys, if you have your Grey Cup tickets, you're going to get your Vanier Cup tickets. The Vanier Cup game last year was probably one of the greatest games, football games ever, ever. Not just in this country, but I think yeah. uh, in North America. Um, so if we can give uh, the CIS um, and the local leagues that pedestal and that profile, whether it's through you know, Rogers or TSN or the score or other entities, I think that's really important for us to do. I think the other thing is about Canadian quarterbacks. And there's always been, I think, this controversy. You know, we brought Russ Jackson um, to bring the Grey Cup into the floor of the House of Commons a few weeks ago. And, you know, Russ was an iconic Canadian quarterback. People love him. Uh, people say, why can't you do a roster spot for Canadian quarterbacks? I think what our focus first is building Canadian talent. We have a young quarterback here from U of T. Um, one of the things that we're doing now is during, and you've seen this, Steve, uh, is during training camp is opening up a roster spot for Canadian uh, CIS quarterbacks to come and train for three or four weeks at camp. We've even, I think the Tiger Cats even brought a high school player out because the speed of our game is so much faster. I think people don't under, understand that. I do this radio show now, and I was interviewing uh, some of our players 
who've come up from the States. And uh, there was a show this year that, that City TV did called Hail Mary, and they followed American players trying to make it in the CFL. And they followed uh, one of the guys um, who is the uh, director of personnel for the Edmonton Eskimos. And the Eskimos did three or four training camps, uh, you know, basically inviting great American talent, stars from the NCAA, uh, great uh, NFL players who maybe because of their size or their, their, their type of skill set they have wasn't perfect for the NFL. They invited about six or seven, maybe even a thousand players to come out to training camp. I think four got invited up to Edmonton. It just shows the, the quality of our game and the speed of our game. So that's an issue around Canadian quarterbacks, giving the exposure at the speed of our game. And I think giving them that, then you'll start to see more guys in the yeah, roster. Yeah, and I understand there's, there yeah. is a supply and demand issue that I think people you know, sometimes miss. That, right. you know, that you're, and again, if you're talking about roster spots, you need eight yes. quarterbacks. But, nine soon. But, but, but yes, nine soon. But a lot of people are going to say, you know, they're going to watch the game Friday, presumably, yeah. the Vanier Cup, and they're going to see... You know, Russ Jackson came out of McMaster in 1958, so that's right. nice synergies here. Uh, Kyle Quinlan's going to win the heck this week, the heck Crichton, I assume, is the outstanding university player in Canada. He won the Vanier with Mac last year. He will be quarterbacking Mac this year. Uh, went to camp with Montreal last year. Mm -hmm. But is there a way, you know, is there any kind of a mechanism to give a guy like Kyle Quinlan who, you know, those guys don't, there aren't eight of those, and they mm -hmm. don't come along every year. Right. But to find a place for the exceptional Canadian quarterback. We're not there yet, and I think that's part of the discussion with our competition committee because the issue is if he goes to one team, what type of benefit would that team get over other teams? You know, taking a Canadian spot, would they get an extra U.S. player on their roster? Uh, because our rosters are made up of Canadian and U.S. players, obviously, and there's a, a delineation between the two and how many Canadian starters you need to have. So I don't think we're there yet, but it's some of the dialogue we're having today. But I think the first step is, is a lot to do around training. And, and Quinlan, you know, he's a great player, and I hope he does make it in our league. Yeah, but he'll have to make it purely on his own. On a skill set. Yeah. And competing against Americans yep. who have had uh, different sets of opportunities sometimes, yeah. correct? Yep. Um, someone wants you to run for mayor of Toronto. Do you want to? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, no. Uh, and this is on Rogers. No and double no. Uh, I, 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 it's interesting. My, my dad got the key to the city uh, a few months ago. And... Uh, you know, our family, and I've learned this from my parents, both my mom and dad here, who've given so much to Toronto and so much to the country. Um, I'm in a job now that I love what I do, um, but I'm also doing something good for the country. So it's kind of, I'm in this private enterprise, uh, but actually having the benefit of being a steward of, a, of something that's a great cultural institution. So I love what I do. Um, my wife and I have talked about politics, and I just don't think... We have a little girl, um, and uh, I'm too, it, it's too much of a commitment on the family. <laughs> Plus, I, I can't believe you could do a better job than the incumbent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Hamilton guy, I get to say that. I didn't vote for him. Um, <laughs> concussions, injuries, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about concussions, because right. it has been a, it's, it's been a topic in all football, all levels of football, um, going down to youth football and, and concerns there. Um, the league's response and, and concerns, uh, you know, are you concerned about how, that it might affect participation rates, you know, going, which, of course, has a, a trickle-down effect or triple-up effect all the way to the CFL? I mean, this is the future of our league when we think about this, and any professional sport, whether it's the NHL, whether it's the NFL, whether it's MLSE, I mean, MLS, uh, a lot of kids getting concussion uh, in soccer, a lot of kids getting concussions in basketball as well, falling on the court. Um, 
you know, player safety is critical. I chair the player safety committee uh, that we share with our union, with the CFLPA, and I'm really proud of Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald is our head of football operations. About four years ago, he came to me and he said, Mark, uh, we have to be out in front of this issue of concussions. Uh, one, for the future of our game, but two, to protect our players. So we instituted three years ago, this is several years before the NFL, international standards on concussion protocols. They're called um, SCAT 1 and SCAT 2 protocols. We instituted those. Um, we then went out um, and we worked with CIS, with minor football, with the CFLPA, with our alumni, with our alumni association, with the high schools across this country to send out um, concussion knowledge kits, essentially, to thousands of high schools across Canada to tell families, to tell coaches, here are the symptoms um, of what you should look for if you suspect a young kid of having concussions. Now, that education, I think, is the first step. That's one piece of it. I think the other piece is rule changes, uh, protecting the quarterback, making sure guys keep their head up and tackle, uh, suspending players if they use their head really as a weapon. There's two suspensions I did this year. Most recently, they hit on Drew Tate. Um, those are things we have to do. Uh, awareness, discipline, uh, and make sure we have the right protocols in place to protect our players. How's how we do on time? Got time for one more? Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just I'll just Mark, it just to kind of wrap things up here. Um, Twenty years ago, the Grey Cup was held in this city, 1992, um, and that was a it, you know a low point in a lot of ways. It was a real tough time for the league. Uh, it was tough to get rid of tickets. Uh, the city seemed uh, well not ambivalent about it, maybe even hostile towards it. It's been an interesting trip these last 20 years uh, that brings us back here for the 100th Grey Cup. Um, the league is in far better shape now than it was then. Uh, and obviously, certainly nationally, it's in way, way better shape. Your TV numbers are fantastic, as you said. Um, but so here we are back in Toronto. It's kind of a measuring point. Um, look ahead now, um, you know, beyond your tenure. Right. Because I assume, you know, you're not going to do the uh, do Jake or Sid Halter or one right. of those guys <laughs> and hang around forever. Um, you know, give me give me five years, give me ten years, and where does this league go? Um, it's a, that's a great question, because and you're right, I think we've come so far in terms of our TV ratings compared to last time we were here in Toronto that we talked about stadiums. We have a drug policy now that is probably one of the best in professional sports. We're only we're the only league in North America that tests for human growth hormones. Now that years ago, people were saying, God, how do how do you have a league that doesn't even have a drug policy? So we've really turned the corner on so many things. So the future, uh, the future, I hope for, for a future, and this is more very aspirational, of a football in every kid's hand. You know, the way I, I grew up with my, with my dad and my brother and mom sort of yelling dinners on, uh, <laughs> of, of throwing football in the backyard, uh, of making it relevant uh, for all kids to play the game, a game of, a game of touch, uh, a game of tackle if you have the propensity to play that game. Uh, video games again, uh, from the business side, a game where we continue to uh, push the envelope on making an entertaining product, but make sure that we're protecting our players. A game that hopefully one day does have a 10th franchise, whether that's Quebec or Atlantic Canada. And a Grey Cup that continues, I think, to capture Canadians' imaginations. You know, it's not always, we've really wrapped ourselves in the flag this year, and I think that's really important for important celebrations like the 100th Grey Cup. But um, I think now that's just who we are. Uh, we don't always need to do that. And I think for the young Canadians to see that, I think, is really important. And I think the final thing is for new Canadians. You know, the passport that's coming out, uh, one of the pages on the passport will have an image of the Grey Cup with, with kids uh, playing football. The other side of it will be the Stanley Cup, kids playing hockey. I think if we talk about our league in the same vein as hockey, 
Um, we do it uh, knowing that I think the Grey Cup really is our national institution. And in a world where, you know, probably my daughter will probably end up living in China or maybe in Indonesia or maybe in Brazil or maybe working in Europe, I think it's really important for us to celebrate things that are important Canadian institutions. And I just hope in 10, 15, 20 years we continue to do that. All right. We're on the same page there. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And thank you. Thank you. Great. Good afternoon, and thank you, everyone. My name is Danny Asaf, and uh, it's and, and a board member of the Canadian Club. And it's my pleasure and honor to thank both uh, Mark and Stephen for today. As someone that grew up in Edmonton, I have to say, not only did the nation stop, I lived in a city where the city stopped often because we had great teams in this wonderful, wonderful tradition of the Grey Cup. And as has been said today, there are very few things that you can think shape and mold a country. Sport is one of them. In this country, we're lucky to have hockey, the Stanley Cup, and most importantly, this year with the 100th anniversary, the Grey Cup. And we want to thank Mark and Stephen first. Stephen, for being uh, the author that you are and the writer that you are to tell our story, and Mark, for being the steward of this great game, this great institution, both for today and into the future, into the hands of people like my children and my eldest son. And I can't I can't speak uh, passionately enough about how much this, week's, this week means to us and the game on Saturday, on Sunday, and of course for you and both of you, including us today in your schedule to kick off what's going to be one of the most fantastic weeks, fantastic weeks in Canadian football with the 100th Grey Cup on Sunday here in Toronto. Thank you very much and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Danny. Uh, once again, Mark, Stephen, thank you so, so much for being here and for such a fascinating and educational, at least for me, uh, and inspiring discussion. It was a privilege to be a part of it. Um, thank you also to everybody here uh, for participating and for joining in. And finally, Scotiabank, thank you again, all of you, for being here and for your support. Um, this concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers in the days to come, so please tell your friends. Uh, we are very grateful to Rogers and to 680 News for their continued coverage of Canadian, Canadian club events. To learn more about the club, please visit our website, and as I mentioned, you can download a podcast of this discussion in the coming days. Thank you again, and game on. Have a nice afternoon. <laughs>